Welcome to Storyboard. I'm Lars. I'm Meg. We dive into overlooked films and TV and pitch stories that need to be made. Today we're having fun in the sun, exploring some cinematic beach reads and some notable summer-themed movies. Then we'll crack open a few cans of rosé and pitch an original film and leave you with some items on our radar. Pull up a chair, baby! So summer is nearly upon us, and you know what that means. You're packing your weekender. You've got your big floppy hat. You've got your oversized linen drawstring top. You've, You've got-, got your, like, zinc um, sunscreen Ooh, on your nose. nose. And you don't rub it in. You just leave it as, like, a, a coat, like a full coat. Yeah, you can yeah. See it. Physical, well, yeah. physical sunscreen is best. That is my okay. PSA. Do not use the chemical oxybenzone or whatever that seeps into your bloodstream. Go ahead and use that physical titanium. Titanium dioxide, oh, zinc oxide. <laughs> That's PSA. just my skincare ah. PSA. Please don't use the chemical kind. It's not <laughs> great for you. Um, anyway. So, so, <laughs> so one of those, alongside your physical sunscreen, yeah. mm-hmm. you want to pack your beach read, right? Yes. You know, we're talking mass market paperbacks. We're not talking the New York Review of Books reprint of, like, (laughs) these obscure Polish authors. Mm -hmm. So we started talking about our movie equivalents of beach reads. Maybe it's something you watched over summer break a lot as a kid. It's kind of a guilty pleasure. It's sort of like a, I call it a dumb fun movie. I mean, you know. My first impulse was to go for Birdcage, First Wives Club. That's kind of what we were thinking. <laughs> yeah, that, that was my first thought. And I was definitely. like, no, go a little slightly. slightly and I say deeper, deeper, but not deeper. Just right. a skew of that. Yeah. And both of mine were actually based on books. So Ooh. it was very uh, on topic. So <laughs> bear with me. Mm-hmm. Um, La Divorce from <gasps> 2003. Yes. It was actually um, directed by James Ivory, which is insane really? to me. I didn't know that until I looked it up, which I know that you don't love. Call yeah. Me By Your Name. And he wrote that. But it's dumb. It's fine. Kate Hudson visits her sister Naomi Watts in Paris as Naomi is, and I'm just, I don't know their character names. Who cares? Um, as yeah. Naomi is dealing with a divorce from her French husband. So, yeah, I can't explain why I like it. I just do. Uh, I haven't seen it in a while, so I'm yeah. sure it does not hold up. Oh, yeah. It's based on a book by Diane Johnson, who, whose only other screen credit was that she co-wrote the screenplay for The Shining with Kubrick. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> What? I don't understand. That is a true gem of a bit of movie trivia. Yes. I was very proud when I found that. So, yeah, you know, it's just women with, like, this is how they do it in French culture. Like, they wear their scarves like this. And Mm -hmm. and they use... I don't know. Their sugar is like I can't remember. There's something about sugar remember. cubes instead of loose sugar. Oh, I that's don't know. Right. And there's like a domineering mother-in-law, mm-hmm. maybe or soon to be. I, I think, think Leslie s- Caron plays her. Yeah. Yeah. There's like berets and trench coats, and it's cute. Yeah. And so anyway. I, you know what? I yeah. saw that movie in the theater when it came out. I haven't seen it <laughs> since, but I remember thinking it was very fun. Oh, I had it on DVD. Don't Ooh. anymore. Uh, I just actually sold out my DVDs. So I finally let go. But anyway, <laughs> it's a whole separate sad story. <laughs> my other one was the late. Show Shift, uh, 1996, directed by Betty Thomas, who also directed the Brady Bunch movie, which, you know, the movie's fine. I enjoyed that I enjoyed movie. It. I have to it's, be honest. Again, with Beach Reads, I mean, fine. it gave us that great Sure Jan <laughs> reaction <laughs> shot. 
Um, so the the late shift is about how NBC screwed over Dave Letterman in favor of Jay Leno when Johnny Carson retired. And it kind of has a slight Larry Sanders show vibe yeah. to it. And actually a lot of Christopher Guest actors are in it. Bob Balaban, uh, Ed Begley oh, Jr., yeah. and John Michael Higgins, who plays Letterman and actually does a really great job. So it's based on the book by Bill Carter. So again, fun beach read. It's like yeah. an expose. A I never put book. together that those were all like kind of Christopher Guest faves. Oh yeah. And that, huh. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it really, ha- I mean, it is, like you said, tell all. It really happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it's also, it's available on Hulu right now. So I Ooh. would recommend it. It's just, so, I mean, it's actually like fairly well made. I'm not yeah. shitting on it. I'm just saying it's like a perfect, I feel like if I were reading that book, I'd be more ashamed to read the book, I think, than watch the movie. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's definitely fun with some like kind of Christopher Guest vibes. Yeah. Larry Sander vibes. Yeah. In the look of it, at least. I mean, Larry Sanders show. Talk about a show that is under-heralded, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Oh, definitely. Frankly. How about you? So like you, I had a few first thoughts that I cast aside, <laughs> but, you know, your death becomes her. Mm. Your witches of Eastwick. Mm. Basically, just some <laughs> broads hanging out in cool clothes and yeah, like, being like a casting spells? coven. I don't know yeah. Death becomes her. Yeah. Like. Oh, that's... There's like, potions. There's potions. Yeah, yeah. there's a great... Um, Isabella Rossellini? Isabella Rossellini mm. is the potion maker yeah anyway (laughs) i instead picked another meryl movie Mm. uh postcards from the edge 1990 (gasps) directed by mike nichols actually so you know like you i picked one that is it's a well-made movie Mm -hmm. well regarded but it's just a you know it's like a fun movie it's Mm -hmm. not like a a heavyweight film especially for a meryl streep yeah i would say uh, so you probably have heard of this listener, uh, the screenplay. <laughs> one in single, one single Hi, mom. Yeah. Well, I know, I know my mom and I both love this movie. So hi, hi Francine. Yeah. Uh, the screenplay was written by Carrie Fisher based on her semi-autobiographical novel of the same name. So Ooh. again, that would be a beach read for yeah, sure. For sure. Uh, stars Meryl, as I said, as this actress in recovery, coming back from rehab, trying to pick up the pieces of her acting career, and Shirley MacLaine plays the role of her domineering, <laughs> competitive, vodka smoothie-making <laughs> uh, celebrity mother. And I'd say, like I said, it's a beach read because it's just not the same punch you'd expect from that subject matter sounds pretty heavy, and I mm-hmm. think if you were watching it today, it would be treated much more seriously, mm-hmm. but it's... Pretty light and fun. They're like, oh, yeah, she went to rehab, and now she's back. Anyway, don't worry about it. (laughs) Uh, It's just so well acted and so fun, and it's got that kind of showbiz satire aspect that I know we both really Mm -hmm. like. And there's tons of appearances. It's like Gene Hackman, (gasps) Richard Mm. Dreyfuss, Dennis Quaid, Rob Reiner. Annette Benning is great as this extra she talks to. It's just a fun movie with a pretty honestly realistic story. I mean, clearly it's based on some Mm real-life experiences. Oh, and I this factoid is especially for you. Uh, Stephen Sondheim specifically changed some lyrics to I'm Still Here for Shirley MacLaine to perform in a scene in the film. Wait, what? Yeah, some of a couple of the lyrics were changed specially for her. Okay. So now you have to rewatch the scene. I have to rewatch. Yeah. I have two quick thoughts. Yes. That I'm 
I'm trying to remember now. Okay, so the cover of that VHS, I remember very clearly mm-hmm. as a kid. So that is just a note. And that reminds well, me hanging that, on yes, the Yes, they're hanging, building. and her shoe, like, flies off forever. So on that note, I did just watch Big Business, which, <gasps> sorry, it's very beach reedy And I didn't yeah. want to mention it because it's terrible. <laughs> oh, I no. like So I just remembered the cover so clearly, and I'd never seen it yeah. when I was a kid. And then I watched it. It was on, like, Hulu or something. And I watched it just a couple days ago. And I wanted to like it so much. It, and it was terrible. So but anyway, it just reminded me of, like, equally yeah. fun covers um, for when you're a kid. And the other thing is I watched Mother, <gasps> which I texted you about. But anyway, yeah. I just want to mention that, yeah, I saw Mother with Oh, there's Debbie a connection Reynolds. there. Yeah, Debbie yeah, so Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds. So I just mentioned it because Debbie Reynolds. And it was so great. It's and also so contentious good. sort of, like, relationship with, like, a mother and child. So anyways, yeah. it was fun. It was amazing. But anyway, that was a, my little side note for yeah, that. Well, I guess Debbie Reynolds actually wanted to play the mother role in Postcards from the oh, Edge. I can see that. Uh, she was like, perfect, I'm the perfect person yes. to play this. And then Mike Nichols was like, no, I don't um, think so. Yeah. But that would You're have been also it. interesting. But Shirley MacLaine is so great oh, yeah. in it. Okay. So my next one is I Love You to Death, also 1990. Directed by Lawrence Kasdan, who also directed The Big Chill and one of my other Beach Read faves, French Kiss, starring Kevin Kline. <laughs> oh my Klein. god, I, I lo- love I saw it in theaters. Movie. I love it. It's so <laughs> good. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't pick that one. I picked another okay. Kevin Klein movie because he's actually Ooh, in yeah. this. I almost picked this movie for the food episode, but it's really just more of a silly fun ride, as in sillier than Tampopo, so <laughs> okay. just keep that in mind. <laughs> so Kevin Klein plays Joey, who's a philandering pizza parlor owner. He's- I was going to say philandering piece of shit. Sorry, the way. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no. I, I was like, ooh, wow. <laughs> sorry. No. Sorry. <laughs> pizza parlor owner, his clueless wife, Rosalie, played by Tracy Ullman. Mm. And River Phoenix plays Devo, who is their sensitive new AG employee, who is not so secretly in love with Rosalie and tries to convince her of what a jerk her husband is. But when Rosalie finally discovers uh, Joey's womanizing ways, she confides in her mother, who is played by Joan Plowright. And with Devo, they hatch a plot to kill Joey. Oh, all right. (laughs) So the plot involves like a big old pot of drug spaghetti. Mm. Which Joey consumes with much gusto. <laughs> oh, I should point out that um, it's a real Italiano stereotype. Oh, yeah. But oh, you can't, mamma mia. I mean, it's really like... That's a spicy poison. <laughs> it is. It's Kevin Klein in these like skin-tight clothes with this mustache. But Ooh. you can't be racist against white Ita- white European no. people, so it's he, fine. It's, fun. it's all in good fun. Just go, with, just go with the flow. Yeah. Uh, there's also a murder-for-hire plot with two absolute bonehead ne'er-do-wells played by <laughs> William Hurt and Keanu in some true what? chef's kiss performances. Yeah. That's a very weird pairing. I know. But I like it. But it it's very weird. It works. Okay, but okay, okay. Deep, All right. deep burnouts, as you might okay. imagine. Okay. I know there's just something about those late 80s, early 90s TriStar Pictures Ugh, movies. Yes. Like, as soon mm-hmm. as I see that Pegasus, I am <laughs> in, baby. I am So we wanted to explore some summertime movies since summer is almost upon us. So I Googled, this is not how I found my picks, obviously. (laughs) I Googled all-time best summer movies. (laughs) And the first thing that popped up was a list by Southern Living, my mom's favorite Uh magazine when I was a kid. 
Um, so I just want to tell you some of their top picks. So oh th- we did not, we went another way, but this we is their. We went another direction. Yeah, but these were their top picks. So I'm just saying for the you know poor folks out there, like I want a summertime movie. Let me Google this. This is what they'll find on their list were Jaws, Caddyshack, Grease, which is not in the summer. It's no. in school time. So yeah. anyway, Now and Then, which I, okay, I'll, yeah. I'll give you that. Sandlot, I'll give you that. The Lindsay Lohan Parent Trap, Ooh. like the second one? Anyway, and Little Rascals. I'm like, I don't know when this article came out. I looked like all over the place for the date. I was like, when did this come out? Anyways. So yeah, Little Rascals movie. Mm. Anyway, so I went in another direction. Yeah. Basically, I, I don't know about you, but I was looking for beaches, sunshine, bright colors, just fun, tiny clothing, bikinis <laughs> and short shorts and that sort of thing, you know. So uh, my first one is Visions of Eight. Uh, it's from 1973. And... Meg, you said you wanted more sports on our podcast, and I listened. You delivered. <laughs> I delivered. Um, so on paper, the fact that it's an omnibus film about the Olympics should be two strikes against it for me, <laughs> but it's actually utterly captivating. So if you need a refresher, an omnibus film is where a producer has a project in mind, rounds up several directors to each make one vignette, and they put them together. The most popular example would probably be the I Love series of movies, the I Love New York, um, I Love Paris, which barf, I hate those. Yeah. Or is it I Love You Paris? Whatever. It doesn't matter. They suck. So anyway, it doesn't matter. But um, it's something that kind of sounds fun, because you're like, ooh, I get to watch like 10 of my favorite directors or whatever. Yeah. But it never seems very cohesive. So I think this works because it's more of a documentary essay sort of thing mm. and like if you're at the olympics there's like a hundred different stories a hundred different stories Absolutely. you could you could tell so it actually works really well so just as so many countries sent their star athletes to the olympics in 1972 um each director comes from a different part of the world oh but cool. mostly western europe uh-huh. <laughs> sorry yeah, well, that's, that's what just happens. how it yeah. is in the 70s so we've got yuri ozerov from the ussr which was how it was listed my zetterling from sweden um arthur penn from the u.s uh, Michael, I'm not going to lie, I'm not sure how this is pronounced, Flefgar uh, from West Germany. Um, and these were the Munich Olympics, and right. I'll get into an aspect of that in a second, yeah. of some historically interesting things about that uh, Olympics. Connie Shikawa from Japan, Milos Forman from, again, listed as Czechoslovakia, Claude Deloche from France, and John Schlesinger from the UK. So I'd say the best ones were from Ozerov, Zetterling, Penn, and Schlesinger. The rest, I mean, so I guess I could go into each one, but I mean, it's available on, I'm trying to think if it's on, yeah, it's on Criterion, so just check it out, Yeah. because I don't know if you want me telling you four different stories that (laughs) I found amusing. So one thing of note was Schlesinger's segment, Uh, it was on a British marathon runner, and it started ringing bells for me, I was like, wait a minute, who directed Marathon Man, the 1976 Dustin Hoffman thriller? And it was John Schlesinger, so I could only assume that... This film, or the, you know, this project inspired him to option William Goldman's 1974 book, which coincidentally shares many motifs with the events in Schlesinger's short for this movie. So I'm wondering how that tie. I don't know. I just thought that was too much of a coincidence. Yeah. So obviously, I don't know a ton about the events, but there was uh, a hostage situation with Israeli athletes, and, and they were like, I think a dozen of them were killed, and also a police officer. So you can like Google that because there's a lot of, you know, a lot of elements that I, you know, don't want to go into here. 
But it's kind of interesting that n- none of the other directors mentioned it at yeah, all. Yeah, that Which is Which I guess strange. they were just like, I'm here to f- focus on like uh, the weightlifters or whatever, <laughs> yeah. or the pole vaulters or whatever. <laughs> Anyways, very interesting, like beautifully shot 1970s film. And yeah, like I said, it's available on Criterion, so I would give it a watch. Perfect yeah. summertime, lots of short shorts. You can just uh, fast forward through the... Uh, Dull ones. The dull ones, yeah, And then pause right on those pole vaulters. (laughs) (laughs) So when I think of summer, I definitely think of summer spent as a kid, whether it's just having fun at the pool Mm -hmm. with your friends or the sort of bittersweet aspect of saying goodbye Mm. to friends or Mm -hmm. just that kind of sense of waiting around where summer feels endless. But I don't know. I was a weird overthinking little (laughs) child. So you'd get nostalgic for things. Uh, even while it was still going on. So I think tonally I ended up with more... They're not like fun summer movies. They're great movies, actually, but I wouldn't say these are like... They're not Sandlot. (laughs) Carefree! Yeah, it's not like Dazed and Confused, even teen kind of movies. Yeah. So my first one is Summer 1993. It is a 2017 Catalan language film written and directed by the Spanish director Carlos Simón, for whom this is an autobiographical story, as well as her feature narrative debut. So she's basically our age. And in the summer of 1993, at age six, she was sent to live with her aunt and uncle after both her parents died of AIDS. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, So that's what this film centers on. It's the summer when a little girl is sent away to live in the countryside with her uncle, his wife, and their little girl. She's sent away from her home in Barcelona where her maternal grandparents and her aunts live. So I was reading an interview with Simone, and I guess the film has really resonated with Spanish audiences because Spain was actually the European country with the most AIDS-related deaths, which I had really? no idea. That's crazy. And it actually made me think of Arribato because mm. – so apparently after Franco died, people really cut loose – understandably. Mm -hmm. And that involved a lot of drugs and a lot of partying. And the government didn't really step in in terms of drugs. So the high population of IV drug users Mm. were hard hit by AIDS when it came into the country. So there were a lot of people in Spain who were actually orphaned by AIDS. And this Mm. film represented a story like theirs to a wider audience. So Summer 1993 follows in that tradition of Spirit of the Beehive or Cria Cuervos, which we've talked about mm-hmm. on the podcast. Um, it's that feeling of growing up where it's just very lonely. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, you're more used to being talked about and around rather than talked to, even yeah. in your presence. Uh, once I read that it was based on Simone's own childhood, it made so much sense because it's pieced together as though it's someone's recollections. You know mm-hmm. those seemingly minor occurrences that just get seared into your memory that you mm-hmm. might not retell as some big childhood story mm-hmm. if you're with friends, but they'll kind of surface when you reflect on that particular time or something just reminds you of that. Mm-hmm. And... I wish more people remembered what it was like to be children, just remembered what it was like to understand more than people think mm-hmm. you do of conversations going on around you, but then kind of being confused and not really clued into what's going on because that happens a lot with this character where you sort of slowly piece together the story, but it's quite clear that they're concerned that she potentially has the virus. And so mm. she doesn't understand why her aunt is so worried about... <gasps> 
her, you know, getting cut and other kids. And they're in this countryside, so people really don't understand yeah. anything. They don't understand how things work. So they, mm-hmm. like, don't want to let their kids play with yeah. her and stuff. Mm-hmm. And she she just feels so alone and isolated and doesn't really understand anything. Yeah. So that she hears everything people are saying. So it's just, yeah. it's a great um, piece that really, I think if you've gone through anything traumatic as a child, I think it kind of echoes with that way of like oh that weird summer you know you're thinking back and you're like that was a really Mm -hmm. messed up summer in my life yeah um so yeah it's on canopy i would highly recommend it and then i'd recommend um bfi did an interview with simon that was quite interesting as well well one of the ways that i found um a lot of these like because what i'll usually do is kind of just do a broad search for you know like okay like so, so for this, you know, summer. So I just like went to a movie and I typed in summer and oh. it went to like down like five hundred to however many titles. So I found one. This is how I found it was um, haunted summer. So this is how I came about it. And um, I basically watched like fifty trailers, but then I was like, well, this one looks interesting Ooh. though. So haunted summer, nineteen eighty eight by Ivan Passer. So this is kind of on the summer vacation mm-hmm. um, and kind of like in the summer you kind of do your projects or whatever. This is. Kind of I'm kind of trying to uh, shoehorn this in. So it's about the summer of 1816 when Lord Byron, uh, Percy Shelley, and Mary Shelley hung out in Geneva. uh, And to remedy their boredom, they had a contest to to see who could write the scariest story. Of course, Mary Shelley began writing Frankenstein Mm -hmm. on that fateful vacation. So we got Eric Stoltz playing Percy Shelley, Laura Dern playing Claire Claremont. (gasps) Uh, who is Mary's stepsister and Claire Claremont. I mean, can we I come know. up with another come name? On, come on, 1800s. Whatever. People had dumbass names back then, too. It's not just exactly. Braylon's and <laughs> yeah. um, And then we got Alex Winter of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure uh, playing Dr. John uh, Polidori. So I thought that was really? very interesting casting. Polidori, I also found down, down the rabbit hole, that he wrote Vampire, um, what some consider the first modern vampire story during like he wrote that during that again hmm. that fateful vacation and that predated um bram stoker's dracula i guess oh. sorry I, i'm just like that was a light googling i did you can yeah. look that up for yourselves so this movie there is a three-way scene <laughs> the second scene of the movie is like attempted <laughs> like an almost three-way it kind of just stops you're like well, wait a minute how far does that go yeah in the third scene, you get Eric Stoltz, full dick. Like, Ooh, what? Full I mean, not like in your Eric face, Stoltz. but just like right. from afar. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's just where it's at as far yeah. as erotica, yeah. which I'm into. Um, <laughs> of course, there's a lot of pomp during the uh, philosophical discussions between the two poets. But I had a blast watching it. Again, fairly steamy, which is always a plus in my book. Yeah. Um, though I find it unusual that although the historical takeaway from the famous meetup was the writing contest, the fact that it was impetus for the creation of Frankenstein, the movie didn't really highlight that. Huh. Um, it just kind of focused on just, like doing opium and kind of fucking each other. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, it sounds like they were fucking, like... I guess, or like, you know, <laughs> yeah. anyway. So, um, on this, okay, this is a completely unrelated side note. Okay. But I thought it was very interesting. So the Czech director, Ivan Passer, directed this film, obviously. In 1991, he also made a film that was about 98% completed, but never released for reasons that I'm very curious about. It was called Pretty Hattie's Baby, a true story starring Alfre Woodard, so I'm already on on board, as a mother in the early 50s who was told that her adopted infant daughter was multiracial, but who was in fact white, completely white. So the white girl, the child, 
was Fauna Hodel, the granddaughter of Dr. George Hodel, the number one suspect in the Black Dahlia murder. So this story was popularized in Fauna Hodel's book, One Day She'll Darken, on the show I Am the Night on like... TNT oh, or something, which yeah. I, I watched and it's not good. Anyway. Oh, see, I saw um, the trailers so I was like, what is Chris Pine I doing in this? I wish it were good and it's just not, not at all. The writing's terrible. And the podcast Root of Evil. So I'm dying to see this movie, but like it was never released. Like it wasn't even there were two days left of production. It wasn't finished. Huh. And then it was never released. And so it's kind of, I think there's a version of it like floating in like purgatory. Yeah, I mean like, but you, like normies Kate can't find so. it. Like, yeah, so I am just dying to know huh. why, like, if you're that far Too along. Many, yeah, just. I mean, insurance reasons alone, you would think they'd have to finish yeah. it. Anyways, um, so that's just one of those legends. And I, as soon as I started reading it, I was, like, having chills, especially because I was. Mystery. I was kind of watching I Am the Night for, I don't know what reason, because it sucks. I was just, it's one of those, I'm like, okay, I'll just, like, keep checking this out. I guess I'll keep pushing play or whatever. <laughs> yeah, but I, I do want to read One Day She'll Darken, because it sounds interesting. And I haven't listened to the podcast yet. But I really want to see the movie. I know. Um, anyway, it's just, I thought that was fascinating. Start Again, there. it has to do with Ivan Pastor. That's why I got on that yeah. tangent. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's a summer one. But how about you? What's the next summer pick? Kill All Men. That's what I'm yep. <laughs> Hurry. That's where I'm at. Okay. So, A Summer at Grandpa's is a 1984 film directed by Hu Xiaoxian who is just this giant of world cinema. Mm. Um, his Taiwanese history trilogy is probably the most acclaimed, but he also did Millennium Mambo, which I think you've talked about on a previous episode. Um, or we've talked about we've it. We've talked about it. I, okay, I mean, we've talked I about it. an article for FanDuel oh, about maybe it. That's no what big it deal. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> that was we'll it. link to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's yeah. what it is. I was like, yeah. I associate you with Millennium Mambo somehow. Mm-hmm. So Most anyway. people do, but it's fine. Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Many totally people can. are saying. Oh, tons of people are talking. Okay. <laughs> so, A Summer at Grandpa's is part of his Coming of Age trilogy, which also includes The Time to Live and The Time to Die and Dust in the Wind. I've actually only seen this one, and it is the film that inspired the Miyazaki film, My Neighbor Totoro. <gasps> what? Yes. Which, Shit. I mean, it cleans up the story and makes it a bit less intruded on by the realities of the adult world, probably <laughs> unsurprisingly for their that general studio. <laughs> I certainly don't expect you to see it because it's animated, so you can stick with a summer <gasps> I actually haven't grandpa's. seen it, but I, pl- I, I plan to. Yeah, okay. Well, you <laughs> yeah. can see a summer grandpa's and then maybe okay, um, I, I have to see human to faces. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> There's no mystical creatures in uh, summer grandpa's, okay. so... Uh, It tells the story of a brother and sister from Taipei who are sent to the countryside to stay at their grandparents over the summer while their mother is in the hospital for an illness. So kind of similar. Fun. I know. (laughs) Okay, but it is not. It is not like summer 1993. I just have to tell you. I know. I'm like you're like summer fun movies, and I'm like. Ill parents, dead parents. These are our options for summer. Summer, How do you like that, Lars? Summer sadness, bitch. It's just one long Lana Del Rey song. Um, (laughs) Didn't know those. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Okay. I think. That sounds right. Okay. So let me just tell you, the little girl in this is so cute that it hurts. Like, she's so adorable. And you're constantly anxious that something is going to happen to her if you're like me. And you're just like, it's a tiny child. But she's fine. She's fine. I'm just going to tell you. It's like, thank God. You have to tell people the dog is okay. Mm -hmm. Like, the cute little girl is totally fine. The dog in the horror movie is yeah. going to make it. There's yeah. Some, yeah, there's some slight dangers. There's some slight danger scenes, yeah. but she's okay. 
The story is primarily from their perspective, so it's like Summer 1993 in that aspect, in that there's this sense of being this child that's somewhat ignored because the adults mm-hmm. around you are preoccupied with other things. You're just spending the summer whiling away the time while getting glimpses of this adult life that you don't fully understand. Mm-hmm. So there's a subplot featuring their extremely irresponsible uncle. As in, like, at one point he just leaves, like, abandons them at the train station. So he's just an uncle. Yeah, he's just just an uncle, basically. Especially a young uncle. A yunkle. Okay. He's just a loose yunkle. Yes. And then there's also a young woman in the village with sort of developmental or psychological disabilities. There's that her sort of friendship and issues. uh, She has a friendship with the little girl. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just basically, though, the way that their lives and travails kind of touch upon the kids. It's not like either of those relationships are, like, the main crux of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I should say, you know, it's quite a bit lighter, tonally, <laughs> than it's over so you don't need to worry about anybody dying. I'm just going <laughs> to tell you that to begin with. Spoiler. Yeah, I just, I feel like, I don't feel like that, I don't feel like you would expect that, except that I just followed yeah. up a movie about parents <laughs> <Yeah>. dying <laughs> it's just more that it crystallizes this feeling of these kids being young and kind of like adrift and kind of confused about what's going on with their mom like they're a little worried but they're mostly just waiting around for their dad to come get them they're inhabiting this village life temporarily they know they're just visitors in this rural setting i think both of these movies struck me for how seemingly unobserved the kids were mm-hmm. like i was definitely as a kid not as observed as kids are now yeah So there's definitely something to having this space to experience the world on your own without the watchful gaze of your parents or grandparents Mm -hmm. always running interference. Yeah. And definitely in a summer, grandpas, let me tell you, (laughs) grandma and grandpa are not paying very close attention. They're playing, I'm trying to think, wait, what's a Grandpa is very stern. He's just, he's like a country doctor. So he's got his patience and pretty much he's just like, stay out of the way and don't make too much noise. And other than that, I mean, there is... A slight warming, but it's just funny to be these little kids running in and out. They're crossing train tracks. Yeah. They're picking up turtles. They're swimming nude it in their rivers. Sounds like my childhood a little bit, actually. Well, it is pretty. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. country. Yeah, so. that's true. That's me. So my last one is Little Foss and Big Halsey, which I will a hundred percent definitely probably misspeak and say mm-hmm. Big Foss and Little Halsey, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I will say it now: Little Foss and Big Halsey, nineteen seventy. Directed by Sidney J. Fury. So I think that, like, the early mid-70s American cinema does, like, quote-unquote summer very well with the road trips and the blue jeans, cars, motorcycles, lots of sunny western U.S. territory. Um, So whether or not you're into this sort of uh, very masculine mythology, (laughs) I personally think that young shirtless Robert Redford in blue jeans is reason enough to make a whole film. But that's that's just me. So, Robert Redford plays Halsey, fast-talking. Okay, that's another thing. Um, I said motocross this whole time, and I don't know if that that's right, but it's competitive, like, motorcycle driving, riding. Not, like a track. Like, sometimes it's a track, sometimes it's kind of just like a dirt huh. hillock or whatever. That sounds so like So I'm basically saying, if it's not, I'm going to keep saying motocross, and if it's not, I'm sorry, but just so you know kind of what I'm talking about roughly. It's competitive yeah. motorcycle stuff. Yeah. So, he is a motocross driver who was sidelined due to a back injury and perhaps due to being temporarily banned from the sport. It's kind of hmm. brushed. It's, they kind of mention it, but they don't really go into detail. He encounters Little Foss, a small-time up-and-comer in the motocross game, 
who uh, lives with his parents. Anyway, and soon uh, gets injured himself. Um, Halsey convinces Little that they should travel the motocross circuit together with Halsey posing as Little so he can compete during his band and while Little is injured and they can both make some money. Um, Halsey's quite a Lothario and, and beds hmm. a number of women and until he meets Lauren Hutton, which that was a, <gasps> it was really nice to see a familiar yes. face with all these, like, these men. And I was like, yeah, Lauren Hutton, who is a, I guess, runaway, basically, who uh, the audience finds out is secretly rich, which I don't think the characters know that. But you see her oh. on the phone like, could you call the country club, please? Oh, <laughs> like a payphone. Anyway, so Halsey takes advantage of, of Little in, uh, too many times. They part ways, meeting up in the final scene at the big race. Yeah. Um, whatever that is. Whatever the hell that is. <laughs> um, where the tables turn and Little leaves Halsey in the dust. We've talked about how we're not really fans of Easy Rider. And this has that kind of laid back masculine motif. But like you mentioned in your discussion about Cassavetti's film Husbands, I choose to see it as a searing look at male ego and privilege. Mm. It's been one of those like white whales for me. It was impossible to track down for so many years. I was trying to find it. And all of a sudden, it's available to stream on all these platforms. Huh. So while it's not a perfect film by any means. Um, Grab it while you can. Just, I mean, you know, of. it's worth a look if you just want some some summer fun and some uh, Robert Redford shirtless wearing a cowboy hat. I mean, <laughs> hey, that's all right. She cannot Come emphasize on. enough. He has no top on. Ooh, <laughs> and topless. He is, this is 72. Mm, there's trash. Yeah, 1970. 70. So you got prime Primo. Thirst trap. Yeah. <laughs> no transition. I don't. I can't. I can't. You can't top that. I you can't. I truly cannot don't top it, touch but just, this. You know. Yeah. What else? What else you got? The summer. Well, so is it death? <laughs> actually, kind of. I don't know. Hey, well, it's fine. Hey, it's, it's fine. not specifically. Well, I'm not sure. So we're giving I, you everything. We're <laughs> giving you just like a smorgasbord of options. It's, you know, you know, there's feeling the feeling you have the hard cheese. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so my next film or my last pick is a real treasure, and it's honestly quite a hard one prize for me. So if my description makes you mm. want to watch it, you, the listener, contact us, and I can help you oh. uh, get it. I just want everybody to watch it. Okay. So August in the Water, Japanese title Mizu no Naka no Hashigatsu, is a 1995 film directed by Sogo Ishii, who was better known in the 80s for these kind of punk-style action films with click edits and these blazing punk soundtracks. And I guess he's also considered a progenitor of Japanese cyberpunk. Ooh, That got me interested. He also directed a concert film for Einster's A New Botten, so up until the 90s, he inhabited this very experimental, transgressive vein in Japanese cinema. This is a real, let me tell you, August in the Water take is a real turn from that. <laughs> so I'm going to describe the basic synopsis of the film, but I want you to know that the storyline and the drama really take a backseat to the overall mood that is being created visually mm. and sonically. Okay. So it's about... A new girl at school who's this hotshot diver, and her arrival mm. coincides with this meteor strike in the forests outside of this town, which itself coincides with a drought and the start of this strange sickness among the people in the town where their organs harden kind of like stone. What? So that's the premise loosely. <gasps> so... In this film, Ishii is doing coming of age. He's doing new age. He's doing astrology. He's doing astronomy. 
Gaia theory, maybe systems theory, ancient mythology, archaeology. There's some phosphorescent mushrooms. There's communicating <laughs> with dolphins. Oh, my God. There's beautifully composed shots of diving competitions. There's just, like, a lot going on. And visually, it's just pretty stunning. Oh, my God. Uh, there's this strong contrast that he draws between the heat and the dust of many of the town-based shots with the mm-hmm. drought, and then the deep blue of the diving pools and the cool of this dark forest. Uh, you just want to let it wash over you. It reminded me a little bit of A Picnic at Hanging Rock and also the Soviet mm. sci-fi film Parade of the Planets. And there's also kind of an early X-Files episode element in there. Just like if you want to get a sense of the vibe yeah. that we're getting here. Uh, it also is very much like a film version of 80s, 90s avant-garde ambient new age music, to be quite uh-huh. honest. Uh, there's actually this pretty recent vinyl release of some of the greatest Japanese hits of the genre that's called Kanyoko Ongaku, which is like all this like environmental music of Japan yeah. in the 80s and 90s. Uh, I think it would be very simpatico with this film. So it actually seems like the August in the Water soundtrack is popular with a lot of listeners on the internet. When I was trying Mm -hmm. to find the film, people were like, here's the soundtrack. (laughs) Uh, So I would love to see a better quality version than I was able to access because I think it would be a fantastic movie to see on the big screen. Just like the tones, the composition, just like these gorgeous shots. I don't know how to explain it. I'm I dying. just want everybody wanna, to watch it. It's just I'm like, going to. It tickles this part of your brain that you don't really get to access a lot, and I just really love it. Oh I God. really want to force everyone to see it. So like I said, just hit me up. Um, I'll get you, get you hooked up. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> Okay, it's time for us to dive deep into the pitching well. Mm. So each uh, episode, we each bring two elements unknown to one another and then reveal them and pitch an original movie on the spot. So Lars is leading this time, and I believe we have a working title for our canisters. So I always try to find an interesting title um, along the way, and so this time... I found a movie called Bitch on the Beach Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. from 2016, a movie by Jong Ga Young. Sorry, it has nothing to do with the film. I just thought that was a fun summer title. Yeah. It's a good working title. You know, just, again, masking tape on the 35 millimeter yeah. reel. Yeah. So here's the pitch. Four women camping in the woods get stalked by a man slash entity that seems unstoppable or like elusive. So my inspiration for this was something I almost mentioned for my summer pick was Smooth Talk um, Mm. with Laura Dern and Treat Williams is this aggressor. And he almost doesn't see, I'm, I'm honestly not sure if the movie wants us to think that he's kind of just like this idea of a threat mm-hmm. or if he's meant to be a real man. And I, <laughs> side note, this is based on a real murder, so I won't get into it, but just Google smooth talk, real life murder. Yeah. It's based on this guy who looks fucking crazy. I'm not going to go into it anymore, but just, I'll, we'll, we'll Google this afterwards. Yeah. Everyone Google because the real life murderer guy looks insane. <laughs> He's wearing like crazy makeup and what? wigs. It's nuts. Anyway, that's a total <laughs> sidebar. Anyway, but this, four women camping. I, I was just thinking about like 
there's so many horror films about women, obviously as victim. I mean, this is obvious. Yeah. And I was like, I think John Carpenter does it like a really good vibe of like people. Usually it's like in a confined space against like another force or whatever. But I thought, and he actually, he usually portrays women pretty well. So I kind of thought maybe like kind of John Carpenter mm. vibes and hell, let's have him direct it. I mean, you yeah. know, why not? So, He's available, I guess. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So actors, um, I didn't know who you would pick, obviously, male or female or whatever. So I, I've got a few lined up. So let's okay. just, not to say to, uh, I might be I do have through, a lady. I so. might, okay. So I'm, I might be blowing through several weeks worth of pitches, like <gasps> great actors. But anyway, oh. so we got. Tiana Paris from Chirac and If Beale Street Could Talk and Mad Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greta Lee from Russian Doll and High Maintenance. And Melanie Diaz from Fruitvale Station and that new Charmed series, which I think has already been canceled. I don't oh. know. What okay, so I don't know. Age-wise, I might be... Well, I'm not sure how we this is another work. scene too. Maybe yeah, little, so know, my act, actor is Uma Thurman because mm. I've been like, where has she been? And I guess the answer is <gasps> she's been on stage. She's actually oh, been doing okay. a lot of stage uh, performances. But I'll talk about uh, something I saw with her in the radar section. But mm. I was like, I love her. Mm. And she can actually do like that sort of tense stuff yeah. really well. Mm-hmm. So she's my actor. And then my element is a pool party fight scene where someone ends up in the pool. <laughs> now, I was definitely thinking much more in, like, the True Beverly Hills style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we could have it be, like, a scary, like, they are camping and then they finally That's see a true. house. Who is her is in a mansion. She has a pool. Yes. And they're like, help us. And then either, I don't know if she's sinister or she does help them. I don't know. I'm trying to think. I don't know. I'm thinking sinister. Just I think because sinister. Like, if you have a mansion in the woods and a pool, that you're sounds, evil. Yeah, like, they think that... They like run you're up a to woman. Her you're an ally. You're a woman. And then she's like, just kidding. Yeah, bitch. she's the one that's been stalking them. They think it's been this creepy man, but or it's it has, or like it's her husband yeah. and they're in on it or something. Yeah. I don't know exactly. Yeah. I just. There's definitely like, ooh, is she like drowning in the pool? And maybe she's still alive. See, and I had this really clear, because I've, I'm not going to like lie. I've been thinking about this movie for a while because I'm like, there needs to be a woman in the woods fighting this. I don't know. So this has been kind of like yeah. a, on the back burner for me. I mean, I don't write. I do not write movies or anything, <laughs> yeah. but it's still been like, this would be, I'd watch the hell out of this. Yeah. So I, for some reason, thinking about the 70s and kind of like the PJ Souls sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're like 70s, you're, you got a baseball cap on, you're blowing bubbles. And I just imagine like these girls and like one of them has like a baseball bat over her shoulders mm. where she has her arms wrapped yeah. around it. And then like his car, his like a 50s kind of car and it's like in the woods, like that's how he got to them. And they like bust up the car. So sorry, maybe like they have like a nice car in their like driveway and then like Greta Lee has a bat fucking like fashions co- I don't know this yeah. is maybe this doesn't make any sense but basically maybe they're like smashing up capitalism I don't know like this fucking house oh they're anarcho-primitivists cool. maybe I don't know <laughs> they're tree sitting so, they're back they're fully back to the land that's what this is I don't it. know shit's going down they're in the woods that's all I yeah, got <laughs> it turns out they're they're planning their next eco-terrorist target and then they're the, that couple is like the yeah forestry products company owner yeah. or something. I'm trying to know. think of a guy offhand. The first person that well, now I can think of is Tree Williams. <laughs> I know. Oh, I'm like, the only dead. person that popped in my head was, what's his name, like Alessandro Nivola or something? Oh. I don't know why. I think because he can literally be in anything and yeah. I believe it because he's just like an everyman. He's, he's just like bug. a... He's... 
Yeah, his, I don't know. his face just kind of which blends. is you think of a murderer. That's what yeah. you think of. They someone kind of who they can become just, all different kinds yeah. of faces. Exactly. Like apparently this real murderer that Smooth Talk is Honestly, based on. Who, look it up. Okay, um, I'll try to link to it or something. Okay, I will. <laughs> I mean, except that I feel bad because it's really freaky. So now it's time for Radar, things that we have seen, we want to see, things we are warning you against seeing, maybe. <laughs> so for me, I along the, along the way, I found this movie called The Green Fog that came out a couple of years ago by Guy Madden. And so it here's the synopsis. Um, it's Guy Madden's interpretation of Hitchcock's Vertigo pieced together using footage from old films and TV shows shot in around in and around San Francisco, it's like 63 minutes. I just, huh. I found that really fascinating. Yeah. I was just like kind of like reimagining. I don't know what that means if it's really like loose or it's kind of narrative. But I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Huh. I don't know where I could find that. Anyway, no. something else I found along the way was a show called Midnight Caller, 1988 TV drama series featuring Gary Cole as an ex-cop turned local radio host in San, huh. again in San Francisco that was unexpected anyway sorry also in San Francisco uh, it went on for three seasons and 61 episodes um the first episode is on YouTube I watched just like a minute of it, it has a pretty sexy opening Ooh. with a Sade song <gasps> played over shots of sex workers lit by tons of neon signs so maybe it's probably not good but anyway <laughs> I, I do kind of want to see it. I was like Gary Cole I'm like Sade yeah. So maybe Frasier vibes because he's a radio host. I don't know. Mm. Anyway, but I really just wanted to land on if you want some fail safe summer fun, um, just watch some Eric Romer films. I, I that was my first thought when we were going yeah. into the summer film theme, and I tried to go deeper. Um, but it, yeah, if you just want some go to summer uh, gorgeousness uh, on cinema, I'd say you got Romer's Summer's Tale. La Collection News, Claire's Knee, and Pauline at the Beach. Yeah. That's just, you know. Totally. Yeah. Anyway, how about you? So, uh, first of all, I watched the 2001 movie Tape, which mm. Richard Leakletter made mm -hmm. right after Waking Life. Uh, it's an adaptation of a play by Stephen Belber, who wrote the screenplay. And it is one of those early digital video experiments, <laughs> so... Ooh. It does take some adjusting. <laughs> uh, there's no soundtrack or fancy editing. It all takes place real time. So it's like 83 minutes and it's just real time mm -hmm. in one motel room with three characters. So Ethan Hawke and Robert Sean Leonard play old high school friends, which they did previously play in Dead Poets Society. So there's like That's a weird right. connection there. And then Uma Thurman plays Hawke's high school girlfriend. I think this is one of the few times where they're like on in a film together mm. honestly oh, yeah. i kind of forget that they were married, married yeah, yeah. and then he cheated on her Fuck and him. justified it with like a lot of really embarrassing talk about like what is monogamy oh anyway? jesus <laughs> i know <Fuck> that. <laughs> but they're together in this film so you can <laughs> so... just <laughs> be arrested be arrested in the moment yeah, yeah ostensibly what brings them together is that one is in town to see the other's movie at a film festival but then it turns out that there's this far more intense power struggle and this complicated attempt kind of to reckon with the past 
And even though I just said he was a piece of shit, I guess I've really come around on Ethan Hawke as an actor. I think in the right role, he is just so deft and Mm -hmm. so agile with how he kind of molds a character and, like, changes Mm -hmm. the direction of a scene. So also from 2001, I watched the wildly different Takashi Miike movie, The Happiness of the Katakuris. Hmm. So I had never heard of this film, but Joel has somehow seen it multiple times. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it is a musical horror comedy, which mm. those words should never be together and never come out of my mouth. <laughs> nope. But here I am recommending it. Yep. So basically this nice but wacky family has opened an inn in Karazawa, also known as a location for Terrace House opening new doors <laughs> from the Terrace Heads. Oh, God. <laughs> so it's this mountainous area. And apparently they've built this inn under an unlucky star because their very first guests all die under very strange circumstances. (laughs) And the family freaks out about bad publicity, so they bury the bodies themselves. I love it. Which seems honestly realistic. I feel like that's something I do. I'd be like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. He's dead. We better kill this body. (laughs) The Yelp breeze will ruin us. I mean, literally, that's pretty much what they're imagining. Yeah. And I... Can't believe I'm saying this, but the musical scenes are true delights, and the movie is just so ridiculous and off the wall that I think is actually pretty hard to resist. There is also a very cute child. Uh, there is an adorable grandpa and his dog. Like He's like an ordinary old grandpa. Yeah. So Mike is known both for being incredibly prolific, like oh, many yeah. just like churning Crazy. shit out. As well as his more transgressive and violent pieces of cinema, which I'm not hyper familiar with, I admit. Mm-hmm. As an aside, he directed an episode of Masters of Horror, Ooh. that anthology series you mentioned <laughs> a few episodes ago. Yeah. And it was deemed too X-rated for American TV. <laughs> oh, God. So it never aired in the U.S. Oh, so shit. I'm expecting you to seek that oh, out and ooh, let me yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. I also watched the Netflix TV show Bonding which was recommended to me by my friend Steve. And basically when Steve recommends a TV show, we watch it because he's always right. Like Joel's like, well, if Steve recommended it, that's <laughs> oh, the okay. gold star. So Bonding is about two friends. Uh, Tiff is a psychology grad student who funds her life by being a dominatrix. Mm. And Pete is this shy wannabe stand-up comedian who's waiting tables and agrees to take a job with Tiff as her bodyguard slash assistant. Mm. So it's super witty. It's very well acted, especially by Brendan Scannell, who plays Pete. Uh, and it's actually based on the real-life experience of the creator, Ryder Doyle. So this oh, was something good. he lived. He was Pete, basically. Right. The episodes are really short, like 15 minutes. And I guess that's something it seems like Netflix is doing more when they mm-hmm. are trying out shows. Uh, Even though I wish they were longer, I am impressed by how they're able to just really sculpt the story down to the bare bones to really just show what they need to to move the plot forward. Mm -hmm. I should say that this show is controversial among people who are into BDSM and among some sex workers because they feel like it doesn't accurately depict their lifestyle. Mm. I really can't speak to that. I think it may be an example of the thing where people are so underrepresented on screen that there are just, like, too many hopes on one show or movie to represent everything. Mm -hmm. I would say there are short episodes, so give it a try. The creators are very open and receptive to criticisms, and it's just a really fun little show. I guess if you're more of a norm like me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh, this is really positive. It seemed really positive to me. So anyway, give it a try. It's low risk. Well, thanks for joining us. You can subscribe to keep up with us or 
send us your personal beach read movie mm. faves uh, via email storyboardpod at gmail, via Instagram at storyboardpodcast, or via Twitter at storyboard underscore pod. Uh, like I said, there's a few things I said. Just contact us if you want to see it. We'll point yeah, you in the we'll right direction. <laughs> uh, all the links of the movies we talk about, actors we mention, etc. are in the episode notes. Till next time. Yeah. Oh, God, he's so tan and like he's uh-huh. like walks around like this like little italiana rooster mm. who's just Ooh, like I love it. Hey, a rose of the she's my girl <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>